The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton is always with you and appreciate you allowing us into your cars, homes, and smart speakers for another frank and honest conversation about gambling addiction. Joining me as always from the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey is our dear friend Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Craig. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing really well today. Uh, tomorrow marks an anniversary for me, uh, an anniversary I'm proud of, but also an anniversary I never thought I was going to you know, need or frankly get to, and it kind of sneaks up on you. Tomorrow will mark 1,000 days uh, for me without making a wager of any kind. Uh, June 18th of 2018 was the last time that I was in a casino and played blackjack, and I've now gone almost three years without it, and it, it kind of crept up on me. Somebody else uh, reached out to me and said, hey, if I remember your date correctly, you're coming up on a 1,000 days, wow. which is uh, really crazy for me, but uh, it also shows you that it's possible. It is possible to overcome the addiction and I literally, as cliche as this might be, did it one day at a time. And now here I am, one day away from a thousand. Wow. That, first of all, congratulations. And that's, uh, you know, we, we always remember our, our certain anniversary days and, and certain times. You know, a lot of people remember that 90th day. They remember the one month, the three months, the year, a thousand days. And, and that's, and it's a thousand days and counting. Thank goodness. You know, it's I one hope. day at a time. I hope. And, and that's what we do, right? We, we always know, you know, I, I woke up this morning, I didn't gamble, I don't want to gamble, I don't plan to gamble during the day, and when I go to bed at night, I want to say another day towards that 1,001 and 1,002, so congratulations. Thanks. I bring it up because I remember the day, and uh, I remember the last two days that I gambled, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this today. Yo, know, the second to last time I ever gambled, I won a significant amount of money. I was in a casino uh, in Pennsylvania, in the Poconos, and I won a whole bunch of money. And I had no money, really, to my name, so it was stupid that I was risking whatever money I had left to my name at a blackjack table. And winning it, which is something I desperately needed to do, was huge. It allowed me to continue to live without worrying about, you know, looking literally. Something I did yeah. later in life when I was uh, lifting up couch cushions trying to find quarters and dimes and nickels so that I could buy a bagel. Uh, and I live that, which I'll get to more in a moment. So I won a whole bunch of money, and I said to myself, I really am as good as I thought I was. I can win whatever I want type of thing, right? Yep. And uh, a couple days later, I took a portion of those winnings. I took $30,000 in cash with me into a different casino, also in the state of Pennsylvania. And I would then say to myself, I got thirty grand. I turn that into a hundred grand. I walk out the door, and I'll never forget that I won the first couple hands, the first couple shoes. I was up. It's probably up about twenty grand at one point. Which again, I desperately needed it. If I'd walked yeah. out the door with the twenty grand of profit, that would have been significant for me and my and for my family. And of course, as the story goes, I stayed there another two and a half hours, and I walked out with nothing. And that was the last time I wagered, and reliving. That story is what's the most sobering to me, that I had no money. I needed every dollar I could find in the worst possible way. 
and I was still willing to sit at a table, even after going up about $20,000, and walk out of that building with nothing. And that's what drives me to never gamble again. And that's the insanity of the addiction. You know, when I hear you talking about that, it, it, it just echoes and resonates on so many levels. You know, whether it's the helpline calls that we get right now from people saying, I don't know why I'm continuing to, to gamble. I know I'm going to end up gambling until I have nothing left. And then tomorrow I'm going to wake up and try to scrap two pennies together and some dollar bills and see what's on my credit card available. And I'm going to try to do it again. And, and it's just the insanity of the addiction, right? It's continuing despite the negative consequences. It's the definition of insanity, doing things over and over, expecting a different result. You know, I, I can relate to that because in my gambling days when I would gamble as well, it would be, okay, I'm up, I'm ahead. Why don't I just walk away? And I always thought about the, the gambling, that the chair was like a magnet. It just kept me stuck there. And I couldn't, unstuck, I couldn't unstick myself. I was just kind of frozen there doing the same thing over and over. So, yeah, I, I totally can see and relate to that. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, Dan, because there are distinct moments in my gambling career, for lack of a better uh, description, where I had people that worked for the casino tell me it's okay to stop. It's okay to walk out with our money. You know, we got pl plenty of it. Yeah. You know, and, and listen, there were a lot of times I did. You know, but there were two particular times I was up a lot of money, and uh, I started losing a decent percentage of it. And one of the guys who I came to call a friend said, why don't you go eat dinner, just take a break. Like, it's okay to walk out of here with a lot of our money. And I remember I went to eat dinner, and about halfway through dinner I said, F this, I'm not here to eat dinner, I'm here to you know, play yeah. blackjack. And That's I went right. back and I did win more. And my ego kicked in and said, see, F them. They don't know what they're talking about. They've just never seen someone as good as me at this game. <laughs> and then and, about six months later, I went into the same casino. And this is one of the stories I have told before. You know, I was up over seven figures. And same thing. I started losing a little bit. I got the same message. Once you go eat dinner, it's okay to leave here a winner. And I said, I remember you told me that the last time. And I won a lot of money. And I walked out with nothing. And those are the moments. I remember the losses more than the wins. And I don't know if that's normal or you know typical, but that's how it is for me. You know, it's funny you just mentioned that because in the midst of the gambling, you know, they're trying to advise you, hey, walk away, right? We can see that you've really been intensely gambling for a long time. Walk away, get dinner. But in the gambler's mind, like in our mind, we're saying, well, they're trying to prevent me from winning more money yeah. because I have a system. I'm smarter than everyone else. And then when you do return to the table and win more money, it's almost as if your thoughts, erroneous as they were, were validated. And you almost say to yourself, see, I should have never left. I would even be up more money if I didn't eat dinner. And, and this is not the case. And in the midst of it, you always think about the, the positives and the wins. But when someone stops gambling and now they're working that journey of recovery one day at a time, you know, beating the addiction on a daily basis. We can never beat the addiction. Uh, Craig, the day you and I say, hey, I got this thing licked. It's done. It's never going to impact me anymore. That's when we're most vulnerable. But that's also never going to happen. We have to beat this on a daily basis. And that's when we start remembering the losses more than the wins, just yeah. like you said. And the thing that scares me the most is I'd be lying if I said I never think about it ever. I do. You know, there are yeah. times, you know, a thousand yeah. days later where uh, it'll be a dream. Maybe it'll be driving to work or you yeah. know, something will come up. I'll see her here, you know, and uh, I'll daydream about it a hundred percent. So even though I'm almost a thousand days clean, there are still days, not that I'm, um, I wouldn't say I'm pulled to the casino because I don't feel that way. 
But I do think about it for sure. Thank you so much for saying that, because I think a lot of people feel that way that are in recovery, maybe, you know, a week, a month, a year. Craig, I'm in recovery over 11 years. I still think about it. But it's, it's when you have something that's in your life and such a big part of your life for so long that you're going to have those thoughts. You're going to have those dreams. There's going to be certain days, certain events. You know, you know, for me, it's the start of the football season is always a time that I pick up the phone and talk to a few more people than I normally do. It doesn't mean I feel the urge to go gamble. But I do reflect and say, wow, you know, 15, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever, 11, 15, 20 years ago, I was gambling. This was a big day. This was the start of the season. We had Phil on uh, last month or a month and a half ago talking about he knew when the horse races were. So we just take those steps to protect ourselves. You know, March is Problem Gambling Awareness Month, Dan. And I I assume it's March because of the tournament and because so many people get attracted to maybe it's their first bet. Maybe it's unfortunately a bet after being, uh, you know, quote unquote sober for a long period of time. But uh, can you give me the history of of uh, Problem Gambling Awareness Month and what's the ultimate goal of it? Sure. And, and you're, you're spot on. You know, it is during March because it coincides with the start of the tournaments, which carries over into April. And it's a grassroots campaign that was started decades ago. And it's a nationally recognized, not just state of New Jersey or, you know, New York. This is nationally recognized as Problem Gambling Awareness Month, where anyone in any of the 50 states around the United States We'll put on programs. We'll put on workshops. Talk about the dangers of gambling for those who struggle. We know it's a small percentage of people who develop gambling-related harms and struggle with gambling addiction. It's that month to talk about, hey, be careful. And, yes, there is an element of responsible gambling that can be discussed, but it's primarily driven towards focusing on help for the problem gambler and let's not forget the family members and loved ones, because I, I, I echo that all the time. It's so important to talk about the impact that addiction has on loved ones. And we work with other agencies on how they can collaborate, whether it's the criminal justice system, substance use, you know, people dealing with drugs and alcohol, clinicians, teachers, educators, government officials. Everyone is a stakeholder and should have a spot at the table to talk about gambling addiction. Coming up uh, in a few moments, we'll discuss with Dan why we can't walk away, why it's so difficult to say no when we know the answer should be no. As we continue here on Hello, My Name is Craig, right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Craig Carton along with Dan Trelaro, the uh, Council on Compulsive Gambling for New Jersey. You know, Danny, I should take a a pause here for a second in what we're talking about. You know, a lot of people say, you know, what's Dan's background? You know, you sound great. You know what you're talking about. And 1-800-GAMBLER obviously provides such a great service to so many people who need it. But if you don't mind sharing a little bit of your personal story, you mentioned earlier in the show that you're in recovery now for over 11 years. What was your game of choice and how did your addiction manifest itself, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure, Craig. Uh, Thank you. You The the work that I do today is is a function of a journey similar to the work that you're doing today. You know, to keep it relatively short without getting into a lot of detail, I... I grew up around gambling, so it was normalized at an early age. 
I never saw the negatives. I always enjoyed horse racing. That was the first thing I, I fell in love with was the horses. I remember in, in seventh grade, I was the only kid in class that had a book on Andrew Byers speed figures and how to handicap thoroughbreds. <laughs> and I thought that was the best book ever written. Yeah. And I loved coming up with a formula, a system. So I was a sports better, a horse, horse racing fan early on. And, you know, for a time, I stopped gambling. You know, I was gambling in high school. I was, it was my people, places, and things, the kids I hung out with. It was just something to do. Went off to college, uh, played some baseball, hurt my shoulder, so I couldn't play anymore. But I didn't gamble. You know, I, I just was interested in college life. And so it really wasn't a part of my life. Got a job working in uh, downtown New York in 1998 when I graduated college, working at a large investment bank. And I was down there on September 11th. And I watched that second plane hit the towers, and I, the stuff that I saw that day, and just looking at the trauma, you know, I think I underestimated. I was a finance, I was a finance person, economics person. I wasn't in a, a mental health capacity. I wasn't a clinician. I wasn't doing this work, so I didn't understand the importance of mental health, and it's really important. And so I didn't think PTSD or trauma could impact me because I was still alive. I didn't know I was impacted to the degree that I was until I started turning to illegal online gambling as a way to kind of escape the 9-11 tragedy that I saw, losing friends and just dealing with that. And then it just spiraled. You know, it, I was gambling to escape pain, gambling to escape visions of things that I saw and fears, and it just went south. Switched jobs. I became a um, I took a job in New Jersey working for another financial company, and it just progressively got worse. And in my journey, I mean, I, I dealt with, you know, loss of relationships, criminal justice system, you know, you name it. And it's, it's all because of the gambling that just continued to go on. And that's why I can just relate when you talk about blackjack. And, you know, I was a blackjack player and also a sports better. I would play blackjack illegally online before it was legalized in the state of New Jersey while the sports bets were going on because I just wanted to have continuous action. I, I didn't want to wait three hours for a game to be done. Right. I wanted continuous action. And it progressively got worse, um, you know, from uh, taking things that don't belong to me, from the lying, the cheating, the denial. So you really used gambling, whatever form it was, blackjack, sports, horses, as a drug uh, to escape you know, kind of emotions, but is there is there a pivotal moment in, in the narrative of your life story where you can look back and go, here's the general time frame when it went from, you know, quote-unquote normal gambling, even using it as an escape, to problematic gambling? You know, I can remember it getting progressively worse over time. It would probably be June of 2008. What I would have to pinpoint it because that was the time that I actually did something for the first time in my life and the first time in my gambling career, as we call it, illegal. And when I did that illegal thing, that's when it crossed over. And that was the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing is to do it the first time when you're doing something that you know is wrong, that's, that's illegal, and you do it, you get away with it, and all the other times become easy. But it was that first time, June of 2008, when I realized, okay, I'm just borrowing this money. I'm going to put it back when I'm done. And it never happened. And it perpetuated. And it went until February 11th of 2010 when I was terminated from my position. And I had been told that I was being followed for a number of months, uh, which unbeknownst to me. So right. it was definitely a case that was 
uh, getting a lot of attention in the state, and they were finding a lot of issues with people that I were dealing with. And unbeknownst to me as well, they were having interviews with those people. You know, I, I didn't know any of this. And February 11, 2010, I got a phone call from my managing director saying, we need you in the office at 4 o'clock. We have some people that want to talk to you. And, you know, when, you, when you're not doing things the right way, you really don't want to talk to people. If you don't right. have too much of a uh, Right. So you really had a, a two-year blur is what it sounds like. And when you look back on those days now, do you look back on it with great clarity or are those two years still a blur? It's a bit of a blur. I would really have to sit down. And, you know, I do keep, I keep bank statements. I still have them in my possession from that time, from 2008, 2009. And if I want a, a, a wake-up call, if I need a, a reality check, I can look at any of those bank statements, and it snaps me right back into that time. And it's not something I do often, maybe once, twice a year, but it's pretty much a blur to your point. Yeah, for me, it was, you know, I don't think there's a specific day or date, although, you know, there's, a, you know, I, I talked, you know, about this uh, famous, uh, you know, on-air wager about, you know, what I could do at a blackjack table. But I think for me, it was this sudden access to a significant amount of money. I think that was the turning point for me because gambling's always been a part of my life since I was a kid. So, and I never thought I had a problem with it. Now, I can look back now and I recognize that I never mentally processed it in the most normal manner, but I just didn't have enough money to lose where it became a problem. I think once I had access to significant amounts of money, that's when the addiction itself kind of took a hold of me. Yeah, I, I, and I can relate to that because, you know, when, when, you, when you don't have that access, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, I can kind of maintain and manage this. But when you all of a sudden have access to either the money or the people that have the money, and we know through addiction that people who struggle with addiction will lie, cheat, steal. They'll be very uh, charismatic, you know, and they'll try to get you to do whatever they want you to do. And that really can open the door to a lot of, a lot of problems. I, I remember I want to share that when I stopped gambling and I started looking for new employment in 2014, I came across who would become my mentor and uh, the great Jeff Beck. And Jeff was wonderful. He worked for the council. He was clinical. He was a clinician. He understood gambling inside out, upside down, knew everything about it. And Jeff, we actually just lost uh, Jeff three years ago. The anniversary of his passing was March 10th of 2018. And Jeff was someone who really helped me understand that, you have to beat this thing on a daily basis. He goes, you, you, you don't process gambling normally. He goes, it's not normal for you. Other people can do it, but people don't think about gambling like you do. And, and he's so right. I mean, we don't think about it the same way as everyone else does. Yeah, and I tell you, the, the real thing for me is, in a very short amount of time, I went from walking into a casino with a million dollars in cash in a bag to literally looking for change under couch cushions so that I could get something to eat. And that's real. Uh, and it's so it's it was embarrassing. It's humiliating. I was ashamed of it for a very long time, but I I did that like in a very short amount of time. Went from kind of you know top of the world financially, making a lot of money, access to a lot of money, to not being able to afford to go get a slice of pizza, and wondering you know is there enough gas in the car so that I can get from point A to point B, and how am I going to afford the gas? And, you know, what am I doing uh, to pay you know, this bill or that bill? Or literally just eat. Uh, so I literally went from one extreme to another. And for those of you listening out there, I say that not because I want anyone to feel a certain way about me, but I want you to know it's real, it's tangible. You know, 
you could go from making millions of dollars a year to wondering if there's a quarter under your couch so that you can get something to eat or buy a soda. Now, I don't say that for a fact. I'm not saying it because it's going to happen to you. I'm saying it because the addiction is real. And while most people respect the fact that alcohol addiction is real, most people accept the fact that you know drug addiction is real, there is still a stigma attached to gambling addiction where I think the far majority of people even though all the medical uh, you know, journals in the world acknowledge that gambling addiction is every bit the addiction that drugs and alcohol are, there's still a majority of the population that has yet to come to terms with the fact that we deal with our addiction in the very same manner. There's nothing different about it. Yeah, I, you know, I echo that because with drugs and alcohol, you can see almost immediately if someone is under the influence, right? You can, you can see... Uh, you can smell it on their breath. You can see it in their eyes. You can see visible right. signs. I should say that there is something significantly different different about it. In that, we we suffer from the silent, invisible addiction. Yes. Yes, gambling is is that hidden addiction. And you know, I think about the journey from working and where I worked. I worked at Goldman Sachs for a number of years, which is known as one of the premier investment banks in the world. To serving pork sandwiches in Bergen County on the lunch shift, earning 5 to $6 an hour. And so that fall from having a tremendous opportunity and a great job because of the gambling and, and the choices that I made along that. You know, it's an addiction, but there's also choices that I made. Yeah. And serving a pork sandwiches to people uh, at a lunch shift, earning mi- below minimum wage at times, boy, that is humbling. And, you know, it, it, in the midst of addiction – it's more humiliating, and I always say that the difference between humility and being uh, – the difference between being humbled and being humiliated is the size of one's ego. When our ego is large, we get humiliated when things go wrong. But when our ego starts to come back down to earth, then we're humbled, and we learn from it, and we continue to move on. Talking to Dan Trelawa for another minute or two here. Uh, we decided not to bring a guest on because I just wanted to share you know, some more personal stories and let people know how real and tangible addiction is. As we mentioned, March is a special month. Give people an idea of, of what happens as the, uh, the tournament, you know, the brackets are going to be announced here shortly. People are going to wager for the first time. There's going to be office pools and, you know, local establishments are going to have box pools. And you're going to be, in, you know, every commercial is going to be about it. You're going to be inundated with the opportunity to wager. And again, we've never espoused a belief on this show of abstinence. GA believes in abstinence. This is a conversation about addiction. And ultimately, you'll have to decide for yourself, is abstinence the only way for you to be healthy? But give people an idea of of the type of jump in volume when uh, the tournament begins. We're expecting to see a really large jump. You know, our helpline calls month over month have just been consistently high. And what I mean by that is that we have anywhere from 30 to 50% of our callers who experience gambling-related harms are calling because of sports betting. And we're, we're seeing this, and most sports betting is done online in the state of New Jersey, as we know. So when the tournament starts... We won't necessarily see a spike during the tournaments per se, but it's more at the end when we get into April because now you can look backwards and process, okay, you know, what just happened? Because as long as the tournament's going on, in the eyes of a sports gambler, they think there's always that opportunity. And as long as the person still has the, the wherewithal and the resources to gamble, they're going to continue to see this thing through because 
gamblers like to finish what they start. And this is marketed as a three-week, for some, gambling binge, if you will. And so when we get into April, at the end of the championship game, I expect we'll start seeing another spike in helpline calls. For people who do feel as if they have a problem and they need resources, our website's available, www.800gambler.org. We have our helpline available 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 800Gambler. And then there's also meetings going on. And, Craig, I've been receiving more phone calls recently for people wondering where to go for a, for a meeting, a virtual meeting or in person. There's a website that's been really helpful called gamblersinrecovery.com, gamblersinrecovery.com. And it's a list of all virtual meetings going on around the world. Most of them are Gamblers Anonymous meetings, although there are other non-Gamblers Anonymous meetings. So check that out. If you're, if you're at home listening and you're looking to get to a meeting, you don't know how to do so, check out gamblersinrecovery.com. Dan, as always, I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, next week, uh, we'll have another uh, guest on, uh, another person who, like Dan and myself, have experienced uh, the, the downside of gambling addiction. But we thought for today that we would uh, share some personal stories and just let you know it's real. You know, and the fight is real. And as I get get ready to celebrate my 1,000th day tomorrow uh, without a wager, and Dan is uh, on 11 years, which is the goal. And, uh, Dan, I hope that you know number becomes your 12 and 13 and on and on and on. Just recognize that if you do have a problem, if you have a loved one that you think might have a problem, the phone number is easy to call. It's totally anonymous, and it's just good to be armed with information. Maybe your loved one doesn't have a problem, but at least you got to take the opportunity to find out and educate yourself a little bit more about a growing and growing addiction and problem. And one, as we said earlier today, doesn't have a smell, doesn't have a scent, doesn't have a taste, and is very easy to hide right in front of your eyes. Dan, always appreciate your time and keep doing the work you guys are doing, especially as we are in the middle of Problem Gambling Awareness Month this month of March, and appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Craig. And again, congratulations to you one day at a time, and I wish you continued uh, success and blessings to you and your family. Thanks. Be well. Talk to you next Saturday at 930. Evan Roberts is next, and then Monday at 2 o'clock, Carton Roberts back here on The Fan. Have a great weekend.